Jesus did his ministry. And then we're going to look at how in the New Testament you see homes, as in the place where you live, used to fulfill Jesus' ministry. Which is actually going to be a reminder because we looked at that a few months ago. And then we're going to discuss how you and I, how is Border City Church going to use homes to fulfill what God has called us to do and then have an invitation for all of us to see how we can partner together to see that done. What we want to see, my friends, is a fulfillment of what God spoke over mankind when he created us, which is to be fruitful and multiply. And uh, what that looks like in a New Testament sense is what God has put inside of us through receiving Jesus, the very life of God, that that would be fruitful, but that we also would multiply that. What you freely received, we have a responsibility to freely give. And there is, we want to see the life of God multiplied in community. We were made for community. We want to see the life of God that you and I have encountered in our community especially this year, see that received by as many people in Metro Detroit and even beyond as possible. So let's look at the four-part, the big picture context, four-part pattern of Jesus' ministry. Here, here it is. If you are to study the ministry of Jesus, which I most certainly have, and, uh, and labored over it, this year in particular, I have seen a very simple pattern in his ministry, a strategy, if you will, um, that, is, that is seen in Isaiah 61, which is the scripture that Jesus speaks when he first starts his ministry, his kind of mission statement, you may, possibly some of you would remember. You see this pattern there. You see in all four gospels, the way that Jesus did his ministry, you see this pattern there, four, four kind of parts. And then when he hands the baton over to the church, you see the New Testament church in the book of Acts following the same four-part pattern. So, which begs the question, what is that four-part pattern? Number one, Jesus begins his ministry taking the gospel and the spirit of God to where it isn't. In other words, to those who aren't yet following Jesus, who haven't yet experienced him, who haven't yet seen him. I'm not talking about people haven't yet come to a church. Tons of Americans have been to, in a church before. But have they encountered him taking the gospel and the spirit of God to where it, it isn't? And then second, from moving from there, those who come to faith, discipling them, maturing them, strengthening them in their faith, building a community of faith amongst those who come to faith. And then from that group, number three, is to appoint leaders. And then fourthly is to simply send this new group of believers to go repeat that process. So Jesus, when he starts his ministry, in fact, I'll read a scripture quickly. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, at the onset of Jesus' ministry, it says, Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel, right? Remember the gospel? Taking the gospel in the spirit to where it isn't. Preaching the gospel of the kingdom and the spirit healing all kinds of sickness and, and all kinds of disease among the people. This is what, how Jesus started his ministry. And can I say, the church, even ourselves, as well as most American church, we tend to be really good 
or somewhat good at making disciples. We love to gather together in our holy huddle. We love to strengthen each other. We love to encourage one another. We love to do that. We're somewhat good maybe at hopefully raising up leaders. But I would say we, because it's more, more uncomfortable, we limp in the area of taking the gospel and the spirit of God to where it isn't. Why? Because then we have to stick out. Then we have to maybe be misunderstood, maybe be rejected. Jesus didn't do anything else without first doing that. And if he didn't do anything without doing that, I would say if you and I are following him, we would best make our priority getting the gospel and the spirit to where it isn't. Secondly, this thing of making disciples, Jesus seeing the multitudes, he went up on a high mountain and when he seated, uh, uh, his disciples came to him and then he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, so he saw multitudes, crowds, people who weren't really his disciples yet, they were just interested in him. And when he saw them, it says he goes up into a mountain and he brings his disciples. So there was a discipling of uh, uh, separating those who had actually come to faith and teaching them the things of the kingdom. Not evangelizing them. They're already received Jesus. Now we're strengthening them in their faith. Thirdly is appointing leaders. Many of you guys would know. Mark 3. Then he appointed Jesus, 12, that they might be with him and that they might send him out to preach. So Jesus appointed 12. That was part of his process of what he did in those three and a half years of ministry that he did. That's important. It's important that he didn't just do signs, wonders, and miracles and preach the gospel. It's important to note that he discipled those who began to follow him and that from amongst them he began to appoint the leaders. Why? Because he was going to leave physically. And they, there needed to be human leaders who would kind of lead and shepherd that flock. And it's the same pattern today. And then fourthly, he sent them out to repeat the process starting with taking the gospel and the spirit to where it isn't. John 20, 21, Jesus says, So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Now if you look in the book of Acts, check this out. Many of you would know of the Apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 14, he's sent out as, as an apostle, and he starts planting churches. Two-thirds of the New Testament are written by this dude. And uh, if you follow, especially the 14th chapter of Acts and see what he did, follows the exact same pattern. In Acts chapter 14, verse 3, it says, Therefore, he, he stayed a, there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord. I'm going to ask you guys to talk. And anybody remember what the first step of the four-part pattern is? Taking the? Yay, there we go. And the Spirit. So what did Paul do in Acts chapter 14, verse 3? He stayed there a long time preaching the gospel and, oh, and was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. There was the spirit of God. Now, some of you guys may say, well, you know, okay, what are you saying? I need to do signs and wonders? I, yeah, sure, that, I want to see that. But anything that the spirit of God, any way that he manifests upon us is the, it's the spirit that's what we want more than more than just the gospel which can become just information people need to encounter god that happens only by the spirit we need to be people of the spirit that's what paul was doing he's preaching the gospel but he's also doing signs wonders and miracles people are seeing the reality of the gospel and we need to see the exact same thing but then it says, the second step, of course, is discipling those who believe. If you follow Acts 14, Paul goes to one city, preaches the gospel. Actually, he ends up usually getting 
almost killed in each city, and then he goes to the next city, preaches the gospel, does signs and wonders and miracles, goes to the next city, repeats the same, keeps on evangelizing every city until he gets to the last city that he was going to go to. And when he gets to there, if, you, if you're looking along with me, you can look at Acts chapter 14, verse 21. Listen to this. It's almost like he does a boomerang effect. He goes to each of these cities preaching the gospel. People come to faith in Jesus, gets to the last city, and he goes back around. But now he's not preaching the gospel anymore. Now he's making disciples. He's strengthening the disciples. It says, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. I hope we're seeing a pattern here. That Paul was following the same pattern, preaching the gospel, getting people saved, coming to faith in Jesus, and then spending time discipling them, helping them to grow as a new church community. And then thirdly, does anybody remember third? Come on now, block captain over there. I know, I mean, we'll give you credit too, Penny. Appointing leaders, very good. This side is, is listening to me. Appointing, appointing leaders. So listen to this. The very next verse, Acts 14, 23. And so when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. If Paul the apostle saw fit that it would not be okay to plant these churches without making sure that before he leaves, there are leaders appointed, then that is divine pattern that we need to follow. And that's, something, that's the pattern of God. And it's simple. Four simple parts. Preach the gospel. Take the gospel and the spirit to where it isn't. Disciple those who come to faith. As this new community is being formed, you need to discover who God has appointed as leaders and then release that group to go do the same over and over and over. That they would go take the gospel and the spirit. That, they, that, that there would be more groups planted out of that group. That they would disciple those who believe and appoint leaders and send them out to, to go and do the same. Are you seeing the pattern? This is what Jesus started. It is what Jesus did. And this is what you and I in him are called to do. So we want to make it crystal clear, no matter what we think church is. Because I grew up going to church one hour on a Sunday morning. I don't even know what we did. We, we, I mean, I, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to mock or anything. But honestly, my, this is church for me. You know, and, and like praying and singing the responsorial psalm and hearing a bunch of words that I didn't understand and then taking communion and go. And I, that was it. Somehow that pleased God was my idea. I'm not trying to mock. I have nothing against Roman Catholics or anything. I'm just saying that's what my experience was. But no matter what your experience is with church, what you think church is, what I just described, that's what church is supposed to be. That's what we're here to do, to multiply the life of God through community. So now let's look at how did homes feature in the New Testament, throughout the New Testament, throughout the life of God and Jesus, throughout all of the book of Acts, how did homes feature in the fulfillment of this simple plan? So we need to, to, to look at that. Why? Because there are many ways that this world can get reached with the gospel. Many of you would be familiar with Billy Graham, great evangelist. However, I would dare say most of us in this room are never going to do what Billy Graham did. We're never going to have a microphone. Maybe we're not even called to preach in that sense. So what are the average person, like you and me, what do we do to fulfill this commission? I would say homes are a glaring, a glaring example throughout the New Testament of what God wants to use. In other words, he wants to use you. He wants to use you in your normal you. Not your imperfect you. 
Some of you are already thinking, God, I can't have people in my home because they're going to see I'm imperfect. That guy, God doesn't care. He's not calling you because you're perfect. He's calling you by his grace in spite of your imperfection. So let's look at Matthew, I mean, excuse me, uh, homes in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus began his ministry. I just want to run through a couple points on this. Jesus began his ministry in a home. John chapter 1, verse 38. Then Jesus turned, oh, let me give the context. Jesus gets baptized by John the Baptist, and then he comes back. He's from the wilderness. He's walking along the Jordan River. John the Baptist sees him. He famously says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Some of John the Baptist's disciples say, who is that? Look over at Jesus. Two of them start to follow Jesus. And then in this verse is where we pick up, verse 38. Then Jesus turned and seeing them, following, he said to them, what do you seek? And they said, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? In other words, we want to go see where you live, your house. Where are you staying? And he said to them, come and see. My friends, you just heard the moment that the Son of God, when God visited the earth, where he began to first make disciples. And where was it? His house. That is important. The ministry of Jesus actually begins in his house. You check out moving into his, further into his ministry, he began to reach his disciples' friends in their homes. There's a guy named Matthew. He's a hated tech tax collector. He's hearing Jesus. Jesus one day goes by his tax booth, says to Matthew, come follow me. He straightaway leaves his tax booth. He begins to follow him. And what's the first thing that Matthew does? He throws a party for his friends who are all sinners and tax collectors. Who does he invite to this party? Jesus. What's the purpose of the party? To connect those who don't know Jesus with Jesus. Matthew chapter 9, verse 10. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house of Matthew, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Jesus reached his disciples' friends in homes. Jesus also commissioned his disciples to reach people in homes. Uh, you may know in Luke chapter 10, he sends out 70 of his disciples, two by two, into cities to prepare those cities for him to come later. What does he tell them to do before he sends them out? Luke chapter 10, verse 5. But whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house, and remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give. My friends, are you beginning to see a pattern? That's where you say yes. Thank you. Yes. I'm glad you're seeing that pattern. Jesus started his ministry in a house. He did the things that I just said in a house. He ends his ministry in a house. He ends his life on a cross and ultimately resurrecting, but his ministry, what's the last thing he does in ministry, is in a house. This is significant. Beginning and ending his ministry. He, the Passover meal was coming. He took his disciples into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. They said, Lord, where are we going to eat the Passover together? This is what he tells them. Luke chapter 23, I believe, 22, verse 10. And he said to them, behold, when you have entered into the city, you will see a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he enters. And you shall say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show you a large furnished upper room Prepare there. And then, of course, that night he has the Last Supper with his disciples. The following day he's betrayed and is crucified. He ends his ministry around a meal 
with his disciples that he had just raised for three and a half years. That is where it ends. The book of Acts, after he passes the baton to his disciples, he goes up into heaven and he leaves the church with the work of God that he started. Where does the church begin? In that same upper room, in that same house. The, the church, my friends, began in the house just like Jesus' ministry began in the house. And the book of Acts ends in a... Are you seeing a pattern here? Acts chapter 28, the, the apostle Paul, final two verses of all of Acts. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. And folks, even in between Acts chapter 1 to Acts 28, you see in Acts 2.46 the first church eating meals together in homes. You see in Acts 5.42 that they met daily both in large gatherings on what we would consider Sunday morning in the temple and meetings in house to house. In Acts 11.12, we see that the Gentile world that was first reached by Peter going into Cornelius' house and sharing the gospel with him. And we see in Acts chapter 16, verses 15 and verse 32, that the church in Philippi was planted by Paul going into two houses and reaching the people of those households. Undoubtedly, God has ordained homes be used to spread the gospel and disciple believers. Because home is where it gets real. We can fake all of our spirituality and our spiritual foo-foo on Sunday morning and say praise the Lord and bless God and hallelujah and pretend all the stuff, but you can't get away with that inside the house as much in real relationship. And God wants it that way. He wants it to be authentic, real relationship, intimate and real. And people who don't yet know Jesus are longing to be in a, a community of love of actual human beings with the actuality of their maker, God, in their midst. The human heart longs for that. And so having said that, I want to ask Minda to share practically how what we're doing, it's not just a plan that we're giving everybody to do again, it's basically saying this is what we already do and what we want to do to be more strategic in actually reaching our city and beyond. Yeah. So I think uh, most of you have had the opportunity to be a part of community group this year. Every Wednesday we've met in, in our home, usually, occasionally in another home, uh, for a meal, and we've shared uh, discussion together, prayer, communion. And as I shared at our Christmas party, literally every week, at community group, there is a moment where I either laugh or cry. I'm not exaggerating. It happens to me every time where all of a sudden I'm like, this is it. This, this thing that can't be manufactured. We can't make it happen. It, it comes from fellowship, from human connection, from God's presence among us. This is what it's about. And it puts it all in perspective for me. Every bit of effort, every bit of work, the years that we've spent here, you know, toiling the ground and, um, you know, the, just all the things. And I think, I hope that all of you have experienced that too. You know, sometimes it's not easy to come to community group on a Wednesday night. Or for those of you who've hosted community groups sometimes, you know, there's work involved and getting your house ready or whatever. But I hope that, and I, I sense 
that a lot of us have experienced that on Wednesday nights. It's almost like magic. I mean, I know it's not magic. It's the presence of God, but it feels like that sometimes, just that wonderful thing that happens. And like Paul was just saying, I believe that the world wants that. That's what people in the world want. They want connection with each other, and they want to feel that they have connection with God. And that happens in community, and that happens through homes. So um, what we want to do in 2023, and what we believe God's really put in our hearts to do, is to make sure that in our rhythms as a church, that we are doing community group in a way to make sure that it is multiplying. That it's not just what's happening with us on a Wednesday night, the way it's been all year, as wonderful as that's been. We want to say, okay, let's make that multiply. Let's take that further. Let's see it happen more and more and more. So, uh, Matthew, you can put up slide one that I have there. So starting in January, this is going to be our monthly rhythm for community group as we've known it. The community group that meets in our home, this is the way it's going to work. That on the first week of the month, we will have community group, as we always have with a meal as we've known it. The second week of the month, whatever month this is, June April, whatever month this is, the second week of the month, we're actually going to have a training. So what this is, this is going to be a slot in our monthly calendar as a church that we can use for all types of trainings. One week, Paul might, might say, anybody, yeah, one particular month, Paul might say, I want to train people in this, and, and he'll get the word out, and you can sign up for that training. Other times, he might use it um, to train us in something else. Um, the particular month of January, we're going to use it for something specific, which I'll get to in a moment. But we just felt like it was important to put that in place. If you're not involved in that training on that second week of the month, then there's not a community group that week that you'll be involved with. Week three of the month is going to be community group as usual. And then week four of the month, we are going to do every month what we have called food and faith. Now, some of you have heard us talk about food and faith. Some of you know that my parents, Rodney and Nita, have held a regular food and faith event in their apartment where they have invited their neighbors over for a meal. They've shared something simple of the gospel. They've had discussion. And uh, it's been an opportunity to reach beyond the church, to reach people. So this is going to be, it's also similar to what our boys, Peter and John David, have done in our home with the youth group once a month. Once a month, they've had youth over in the neighborhood, friends from school, they've had pizza, they've played games, and they take a few minutes to share something simple about the gospel and have discussion. And these kids keep coming back. And these neighbors of my parents keep coming back because they're hungry for this connection. So we're going to make that a regular part of community group, that the fourth week of every month is open for people. Let's say, let's invite our friends. Let's invite our neighbors. Let's invite people who maybe are not in church. And the purpose of that night is going to be to share the gospel in a simple conversational way, in a way that opens up um, for questions or um, for people to to ask questions and, and to possibly understand things of the gospel in a simple form. Um, so that's we, we want to make sure that that is a regular part of our rhythm, uh, that we're reaching beyond what we've had. So let's go to slide two, please, Matthew. You might be sitting there thinking, now, that sounds good, but I know that my people are not going to come to your home, Minda. I know that I'm going to invite them, and they're just not going to come. So if that's you, then we want to ask you, do you want to host a food and faith night in your home? 
because if you might feel that your people might be more keen to come to your home, then you could do that. You could do a once-off food and faith in your home. You don't have to call it food and faith. You can call it whatever you want. You don't even have to put a name on it. Um, so you don't have to commit to that at this time, but if, if that interests you, then we want you to come to that training. The second week of January, the second week of January is going to be a training about food and faith. So you don't have to commit to it. You, don't, you can come to that training saying, maybe, I might want to host a food and faith, but I want to understand what you're talking about. If that interests you, come to this training that we're going to have. This one's going to be at Mickey's on the second week of January, and we're going to talk about how do you do a food and faith night? How would I even do that if I wanted to open up my home to my neighbors? And you will also have the opportunity in the month of January to see how we do a food and faith because you can come to the one at our house on the last week of January, on the fourth week. So you'll get to be trained in it and you'll get to see one in action. And then you can decide if you want to do one in your home. Um, and also I just want to say, you might say, I, I think I want to do that, but I don't even know how I'd pull it off. It's, it can be a joint effort. It can be something that some of you come together and say, let's do one together. We'll do it. Let's say the Steenbergs say, let's do one at our house, but who wants to help us with the food? And, and people come and they do it together or something like that. It doesn't have to be something that you take on all by yourself. We can, we can pair up and join together. It's even the kind of thing that Paul and I could come and be present with you and lead the, the event that night but we're just doing it in your home with your friends and your family. So there's all kinds of ways that we can do this um, together. Even if you don't want to host a Food and Faith, you can come to this training in January on the second week just to learn how to, how would I even invite people to a Food and Faith in our home? If you just want to know more about how we're going to do this Food and Faith thing, then you could come to this training on the second week of January. So let's imagine that one of you hosts a food and faith in your home. And let's say that some of the people who come to this food and faith want to continue connecting with you and with some of the people in the church that they meet at this event in your home. Those people, of course, can come to community group the next week. They can be a part of that. Or you might even say, that was awesome, that food and faith in, in, in your house goes so well that you want to do another one the next month. A few weeks later, you want to do another one. And it could be that after hosting a couple food and faiths in your home, all of a sudden we realize God wants to start a new community group in your house. Who knows where these things could go? And then we might have multiple community groups going. That is actually our goal and our aim within the first few months of next year is to have at least one or two new community groups that start. This will provide opportunity to have community group on multiple nights of the week, that it won't only happen on Wednesday nights, so that for people whose schedules don't allow them to come on a Wednesday, there's one meeting on Tuesday night, one on Wednesday night, one on Thursday night. They can meet whenever. So it's gonna open up multiplication, it's gonna open up different possibilities, it's gonna most importantly, it's gonna multiply the life of God that we're experiencing together more than anything. Paul? Good. So, awesome. We are looking at 
you know, when, when, when we, as I said before, we spent so much of this year as an eldership team looking at how do we do what God's called the church to do. And a couple things that we came to the conclusion of, it was one, we don't want to have Border City Church in our vision, our strategy. We want to get, as best we can, Jesus's strategy. Because we're the church of Jesus. We, like, I'm not saying only Border City Church is the church of Jesus, but you understand what I'm saying. This isn't about our mission. We're simply trying to be biblical. And so I hope that that comes through here. Second thing is, you can have, there's lots of different ways. Jesus says, go and make disciples. He doesn't say specifically how. There's tons of valid ways of doing it. And you could have the big evangelist come and do a big meeting out here on the grounds or something like that. You can have, uh, I don't know, there's tons of things you can do, street witnessing and all these kinds of things. We feel that we want to discern where is the life of God already happening in our church community. It's happening in community. That's, that's there's the life of God happening there. Why don't we take that and make it a gift to the world that Jesus died for? Why don't we use that as the thing that we use to, to bring people into an encounter with Jesus and faith in him? And so uh, I just want to point out a couple things with, with re- re- regards to that is the plan that Minda just, you know, week one through four, that whole plan fulfills the four-part pattern. It, it, it shoots towards the fulfillment of the four-part pattern that we said earlier of Jesus' ministry. Jesus takes the gospel and the spirit to where it isn't. Food and faith does that. The food and faith that she described. It's discipling believers. We're already discipling one another in in community group every week and strengthening each other and seeing each other grow. Appointing of leaders. We've got training happening, which is going to be central to leadership development. And we already have things that are going on behind the scenes to where, I don't know if you know this, but there are six individuals or couples in our church community right now who are already ready to lead a community group. We're perched and ready to go. We just need to start reaching people. And then fourthly, repeating the process. Well, that's what we're doing is we start reaching people. Say our community group begins to get bigger. It's too big for one group. We need to multiply. We need another group. Maybe, as Minda said earlier, a food and faith is launched. And, um, and a food and faith, I'm not saying every time anyone, if you're in here and you're having a food and faith group in your house, you don't need to think it's going to become a community group if you're not ready for that. Just want to put you at ease. But it could. And some of you may want that to happen. And that could be an amazing thing that God does. So if you look at this map, if Matthew can put the little map up here right now, that star right there, that's where you and I are seated right now in this North Rosedale Park community house. That's kind of the Sunday gathering where we're being equipped and where we're worshiping together and where we're hearing the word of God together. We're getting fed as a flock together. And then we've got this light uh, at 15348 Stahelan Avenue where we live. Uh, where we're gathering together to have meal and discussion and fellowship and relationship. But right now, Rodney and Nita are having a food and faith already, as was mentioned, uh, over there in kind of the new center in Midtown area. And uh, let's go to the next slide. Let's say that over here in this area where they are, maybe let's say that that becomes another community group. And so we kind of sent them from over here and this community group is also connecting back to where we are right now this, at Border City Church. So that people are coming to faith here and then eventually they're coming into a more full expression of church community as perhaps hopefully they integrate into the larger picture of the church community. 
And maybe let's say this group, as we're doing food and faith in our home, let's say, you know, maybe it's bursting at the seams. There's like 30 people. It's too much. We need to multiply. And there happens to be somebody in Dearborn who says, I'll host a group. And so, so we now plant another group in Dearborn. And see, this is how it happens is if you go to the next slide, now we've got three groups, all of which are doing the pattern of Jesus's ministry. And what we're simply seeing happen as a result of this is hopefully instead of us having what we've enjoyed all year long in terms of community, that by going, not staying, going, reaching people, doing what Jesus did, taking the gospel and the spirit to where it isn't, by doing that, we are exposing more and more people and creating more and more opportunities for people to encounter Jesus and come into his family. That's what we want to see. And if you even notice here, uh, is there another slide? It just multiplies. I just want to point out, we are border city church. And that's because we're on a border of Canada. And it's because we want to not stay within the confines. We want to go through borders that man makes, but we actually want to go across physical borders. And, and, and this is practically how we can organically see the life of God even go into other nations. It's starting, let's say, perhaps with the nation right across the Detroit River from us. And so who knows where, uh, where that can go. Well, Jesus knows, and he has ordained that we take the gospel and make disciples of all nations, uh, starting in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost ends of the earth. So I just want to uh, boil all this down to a very practical ask, and there are basically two things that we want to say to you as a church community of what you can do uh, I don't even know if I want to say ask. I would rather say an invitation. Because um, that's where it's at. This is not pressure. This is basically just simply saying, this is what we are giving our lives to do. If you're a part of this church community, come with us as we follow Jesus. That's basically what we're saying. And here's two things that you can do to do that. One, invite your sphere of influence to food and faith. At our house. Or wherever the uh, food and faith may be maybe your house, our house, but invite your sphere of influence. And you may say, who is my sphere of influence? I'm talking about people that you actually have relationship with, that there's already a bridge of trust. They may not know Jesus, but they do know you. They may not like Jesus, but they like you. And that liking of you can be the bridge upon which what's in you can get out of you and into them. So who's your sphere of influence? I would say your family, friends. Some of you may say, yeah, my family don't like me. <laughs> that's okay. They at least know you, and it's, God can still use all this stuff. Family, friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, and if you're in school, your classmates. Family, friends, coworkers, neighbors, classmates. Invite them to food and faith. Secondly, the other invitation would be some of you, if you say, like Minda said earlier, I can see inviting my friends, but I cannot see them going into the Nichols house. They don't know you. They would be uncomfortable. They don't know the church people in there. It would probably be a bit too big of a stretch, but they would be open to coming into my house. And so Paul and Minda, would you come with us or maybe a small, a couple of the people in the church come into my house and we can do a food and faith there. That would, if, if that applies to you, the second invitation would be to host a food and faith. So either invite your people to the food and faith in our house or 
if it would be more strategic, host a food and faith in your own house. And again, Minda just said, it's a, just to remind everybody, that's only a one-time event. There's no commitment at all. It's a once-off, food and faith, one event. And if you, again, if you don't know how to do that, what that looks like and all that, we're going to do a training in January, as Minda already said, to make that crystal clear and to equip one another with all the resource necessary to do that and do it well and to have a great time doing it. It's actually fun, by the way. It's so fun. I love it. It's not that it's not challenging. I didn't say it's not challenging, but it is so wonderful to see people reached with the life of God in this, in this way. So in kind of closing, we just want to um, just kind of uh, address any possible fears, any possible obstacles that could be in our hearts and in our minds. Um, Minda, do you want to So somebody might say, this sounds good, but I'm afraid to put my neck on the line with my relationships. So what would you say to that? What I would say to that, um, I get it. Uh, When it comes time to making the invitation, it is vulnerable. When you invite somebody to church, invite somebody to do a thing like this. I just want to tell us as a church community, Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He said, um, he said uh, if you are ashamed of me before man, I will also be ashamed of you before my father. And he also basically said that unless we're willing to forsake our relationships for his sake, we cannot be his disciple. And so I'm wanting to say, lay a biblical you know, pipeline or, pl- or plumb line to say in being a disciple of Jesus, yes, it is uncomfortable. We're only asking people to come to a dinner, by the way. It's not like that big of a deal. But we do need to embrace the reality that in order to do the will of Jesus, we have to put our neck on the line. So if we're kind of wobbling around that, we need to just go ahead and draw a line in the sand and cross over that line because there's no, you either follow Jesus or you don't. And if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to put your neck on the line. So let's embrace it. That's the price. I want to emphasize there's also a privilege to doing it. What you see is people's lives eternally changed because you acted in obedience. That, my friends, is a privilege unlike any other. And I think also in that, what comforts me whenever I step out into something uncomfortable and I'm afraid of what people are going to think if I reach out to them, I'm reminded that Jesus said, go and I'm with you. Go and I'm with you. That it's as we go toward others, we experience him on another level because that's where he wants to be. He wants to be with us as we go. So that's, that's awesome. Another obstacle or fear that we might have is that I, someone might say, I don't have the capacity within myself to, to host a meal in my home or I don't know how to host a meal in my home. Some of you are great at doing that. You do it all the time and you love, you're hospitable. So you might say, yeah, I can do this. But, that might, but this might be a challenge for others. Well, I just want to remind you, this is a joint effort, that we can do this together. That, um, you know, Mickey might say, my, my apartment's available. I want to do one of these. I want, he might want to invite his friends and family. And I don't know, randomly, Stephanie might say, let's do it together, Mickey. And they use Mickey's place. But Stephanie also invites her friends, and they plan the meal together, and they do it together. And, 
you know, no one needs to feel like they can't do this because we want to work together and we want to make up, you know, for one another's weaknesses or challenges or different obstacles. We were in this together. So don't let that hinder you. Another obstacle that someone might feel is how do I even word this invite? How do I invite someone to a food and faith? And uh, I just want to say again that when we have this training during the second week of, of January, we're going to talk about that. We're actually going to talk about how do we invite people to this? How do we word it? What do we say? Because we don't ever want to bait and switch. You know what that means? Like where you tell somebody, come to a dinner, and they don't even know that, it, that you're going to discuss the gospel. We want people to know what they're coming to. So we want to be truthful. We want to be honest. We, but there's a way to say that in a way that, that people are interested and they, they come knowing what they're going to experience. So we want to talk about that together and make sure we do that well. Another obstacle might be, I'm concerned that our community group will be different when we break things up. What do you say about that? So uh, again, it, it, it is a reality that multiplication, which God has spoken over us, we, we, as his church, we, to be fruitful and multiply, multiplication requires a change in the social order that we become used to and i just want to speak to that that as you have different groups some group some people from that original group are going to leave it to in order to go um help plant a new group and that means we're not going to see the exact same faces every every week and so i want to say in the, the, again, that's the price. That is the price of the Great Commission, is that some people need to go and that you break it up. But I want to emphasize, why do we do that? We do it so that there's not just one group, but now there's another group that is going to be able to reach other people. The church that we led in Johannesburg could not reach people here in Detroit. If we wanted to see that happen, we needed to leave. And we left friends, dear friends, our best friends in the earth. And we, before that, we left another place in Georgia to go there. This is what it looks like. There is a price, but again, to emphasize the privilege makes it worth it. What you see God do through your life if you're going to be willing to do it. So let's just embrace it. We still gather together on uh, every week uh, on Sunday. We still have a relationship with one another. We can still watch Lions games, and they're winning. Some of you didn't come to our house, when, but anyways, we... We, we, had a, we watched the Lions and they beat the Vikings. So, so we can still do stuff like that together. Um, but, we're, but we do need to embrace that, that, that sacrifice to be willing to make that. So I don't want to belabor that point anymore. You good? So uh, what I would like to do again, that invite your sphere of influence to food and faith. And if necessary, maybe look at hosting a food and faith. And uh, we need to know if you are going to be coming to the training um, so please do talk to me or Minda. Um, we'll remind everybody in between now and then. It'll be the second week, uh, second Wednesday of January. Uh, what I'd like to do now is just respond in faith. Um, and even right as I say that, I just, I just sense and I just want to speak to this as well. That there is a part of following Jesus that's for us. We receive but if you want to mature and get beyond, and I don't mean to say this disrespectfully, but if we want to get past diapers, we've got a baby right there. If we want to get past that, your 
following of Jesus has to become more about other people than about yourself. No other way around it. That is the way it is, both naturally and spiritually, maturity. And that is what we're looking at right now, is Border City Church caring more about those who aren't amongst us than those who are. You, you hear my heart. We gotta, if we, if we, if we love Jesus, we will love what he loves, and he loved to the point of sacrificing the very Son of God, the God himself sacrificed his life for those who don't yet know. And the only way that he has to reach those people to show them his love is through us who do know his love. And it is a tragedy if we spend our Christian existence coming to church to see what I can get. It is, I get so that I can give. And so, I want to just ask you if you want to close your eyes just to begin to respond to the Lord.